This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So the title of this specific presentation is called Preservation. So we started off yesterday with shifting gears, a complete change of direction. That's what conversion is all about, a transformation of character. Excuse me. Then we looked at, right, the last presentation, we looked at following the footsteps of Jesus throughout the sanctuary and how it relates to my conversion. Now we're going to be looking at preservation. Now I have this experience. How do I maintain this experience? Sanctification deals with that, but what do I do with doubt? Uh, How do I deal with my feelings? What is this that people talk about, higher powers, lower powers? We're going to deal with some of those things. Is it possible to have complete victory? As we've already seen some of the quotations, that's what God is telling us. He wants to give us complete victory in every area of our character by the power of God. But we're going to be looking at specifically how this is going to happen. But before we do that, let's just bow our heads for another added word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we start this second half of our meetings today, Lord, we are grateful that you've been pouring out your Holy Spirit upon us and you have given us your word to guide us in your path. But Lord, we still need to be guided. And, he, and we just pray that you will continue to teach us Show us how you want to preserve us in this experience of justification and sanctification. And Lord, that you would eliminate some of the doubts and that you would give us victory over every little area of our lives. Please, Lord, once again, hide me that I would not be seen, but I would just be a conduit of the message that you have given to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first part that I'm going to, the first question that I'm going to be addressing is how to deal with doubt. How many of you have ever doubted? Nobody here, right? <laughs> no. We've all had that experience. We've, we've, we, we experience the forgiveness of God, or sometimes we wonder if we've been forgiven, or we're, we're in the journey and all of a sudden we get bombarded, different things happen, and we wonder, like, is God still with me? Am I still experiencing conversion? What's going on? The first step to deal with doubt and to deal with the question, am I being saved? Am I being converted by the power of God? Is number one principle, claim God's promises. Over and over again, this is only our safeguard. What are the promises of God? He tells us in John 6, 37, Him that cometh unto me, I will in what? No wise cast out. If you are coming to God, what does that mean? God is receiving you. So remember that. When you feel rejected, you feel that you're praying, but your prayers are not being answered, remember the promise. And look at what the servant of the Lord tells us in Manuscript Releases, Volume 10, Page 175, if you have nothing else to plead before God but this one promise. Let's just say you didn't know anything else in the Bible. Nothing. The only thing you knew is the text we just read, John 6, 37. I would encourage you to memorize that text. But let's say that's the only thing you know. Look at what she says. If, that's, if there's nothing else to plead before God but this one promise from your Lord and Savior, you have the what? Assurance that you will never, never be turned away. 
how many times will you be turned away? Never. Praise God. If it may seem to you that you are hanging on by a single promise, maybe you're just hanging on with the, your fingernail, barely falling, barely hanging on, but you're about to fall off. Just keep hanging on. Claim His promise, but appropriate that one promise. Appro- appropriate that one promise, and it will open to you the what? Whole treasure house? You're talking about the treasure house of heaven? It's going to be poured out the riches of the grace of Christ just because I've held and claimed that one promise? Absolutely. That is the importance of claiming the promises of God. Cling to the promise and you are safe. That's what faith is about. You're hanging on. You're believing God. I don't feel it, but I'm claiming it anyways. And you recite those promises. You keep looking to Jesus. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Present this assurance to Jesus. Tell Jesus, I don't feel like I'm yours. I feel rejected. I still feel guilty. I don't even feel like I want to be your son or daughter, but I've asked for forgiveness. I have repented, Lord. Present it to Jesus, and you are as safe as though you are where? This blew my mind away, as though we're inside the city of God. We're talking about our... Can we experience the kingdom of God today? Yes. By us claiming the promises, it's as just as though I'm in the city of God. And those that are in the city of God, how protected are they? They are protected. Nothing's going to touch them. Nothing has to touch you and I today. Number one, claim the promises. Matthew uh, Matthew 8, verse 2 and 3. And behold, there came a leper. You know the story. Leper comes to Jesus. Ask him, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He knows the power is where? In Jesus to make him clean. Leprosy in the Bible is a symbolism of sin. And Jesus put forth his hand and to touch him saying, I will be thou clean. What is Jesus' will for this man? To be, there is one thing that you and I can be guaranteed. There's some things in life we don't know. That God doesn't make it clear to us. But one thing we can be assured that God wants you and I to be clean wants to be clean from sin and immediately his leprosy was what? Cleansed. When God, when you've confessed and you present yourself to God in a humbly way like this man did, what happens? God cleanses you. He forgives you. He justifies you. And by God's grace, he will keep you in that experience. Claim the promises of God. We are told with the rich promises of the Bible before you, can you give place to doubt? That's the question. Can you believe that when the poor sinner longs to return, longs to forsake his sin, that the Lord sternly withholds him from coming to his feet in repentance? What's the answer? Away with such thoughts. When we are doubting, get rid of them. What do we replace the doubt with? You claim the promises of God. Nothing can hurt your own soul more than to entertain such a concept of our Heavenly Father. That concept of the Heavenly Father, that God is going to banish you out, Because you're not worthy, that's satanic. That's Satan himself whispering those doubts. I'm not saying build your faith on some man. I'm saying build your faith on the word of God. If your faith is here, nothing can hurt you. Nothing. God loves you. He cares for you. Even before you accepted him, he already accepted you. There was no guarantee that you would accept salvation, but he still sent his son. That's how much God loves us. Claim the promises, number one. Number two. Oh, I guess I got another one. But while the followers of Christ have sinned, they have not given themselves 
up to, the con- to be controlled by satanic agencies. They have repented of their sins and have sought the Lord in humiliation, humility and contrition. And the divine advocate pleads in their behalf, he who has been most abused by their ingratitude, who knows their sin and also their penance, declares, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. This is Jesus say to Satan, Lord rebuke you, O Satan. I gave my life for what? The soul. They are graven upon the palms of his hand where the, those nail marks are. There are names are too. They may be imperfections of character. They may have failed in their endeavors, but they have repented and I have forgiven them and done what? Accepted them. Claim these quotes. Claim these biblical promises. God does not reject us. The only ones that reject is us. If we push ourselves away from God, God's still coming after us. One day, we'll go beyond the point of return. When the probation closes, then God can't do anything else. He has done everything, and we've pushed ourselves. But if we are still coming to God, even now, even many that don't know that they're lost, that's why we're called to carry this message. God's trying to bring them home. God wants to bring us home too. Principle number two, live as though it's happened. Number one, claim them. Number two, live as though it's happened. Romans 4, 20, verse 22, the father of faith, Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for what? Righteousness. So what happens? With Abraham, he staggered not. He claimed the promise. And then he believed the promise. He claims it and he believes it. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Act and live as though it's already happened. If you have surrendered your life, and you had a revelation of Jesus Christ every day, and you've confessed and repented from your sins, and you're asking for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, and you have done all that you can, and you keep walking with the Lord, no matter what doubt, what people come to you and tell you this or that, and maybe you've had a shortcoming or something happens. And you do fall. You go back on your, your feet, on your knees, and you pray to God. God has con- forgiven you after you've confessed. And now you claim the promise and you live like you're justified. You're a clean man. doesn't mean that you just go boasting and being a devil. No. By God's grace, you keep on the path, reflecting the character of God. Look at what the Bible says, that I may know him, page 126. Our prosperity as people depends wholly upon who? Upon our dependence upon God for our sufficiency, grace, and perfection of character. In and through our Savior. That's what conversion is all about. It's character perfection. We just saw that through the beautiful picture of the sanctuary. And so, what can make this a reality? It's not me. It's not you individually. It's us wholly depending upon God. The faith He gave us, it's His. The Holy Spirit to help me understand the Word, it's His. The Word of God is His too. Everything that we experience for the perfection of our character is God. It's from God who has paid the ransom for us with His own glorious merits. So it is through the merits of Jesus that we have access to all of this. Let's continue on. The third principle. The third principle. Now that you have 
claim the promises. You have lived, or you're living as though it's happened. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There, the tendency will be, now you've claimed them, you're accepting that God has given you the victory, He's forgiven you. The tendency now will be to, Satan will try to draw you to, maybe this, but maybe he won't get you to look at yourself, but he'll make you look at someone else. Well, that's just as bad. Or maybe he'll make you look at the church. Oh man, the church is pitiful. You may think, how can I go to my local church? You know, the elders are not even, you know, all on one page. Oh man, look at our conference. They're doing it. We have a tendency to look to people. Stop looking to people is what God wants us to do. Look to Jesus. Look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Look to him. There is a man by the name of Jean-Francois Blondin. He was a man that was the first one that was able to cross the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. How many of you would like to do that? I am freaked out of heights, so I... God bless that man. He's passed away now, but he was, a, he was in the acrobats, and he did this many times. It even turned into a joke sometimes because he would fry omelets and do stuff on the tightrope. He did all sorts of stuff. And uh, one day, somebody asked him, what is it that brings you success? You're just able to do this flawlessly. How are you able to do this? And one day he mentioned that he puts a star at the end of the, the rope that he's walking on. And no matter what he's doing, no matter the sounds, no matter what people are saying or whatever happens, he keeps his eyes on that star. For us, it's the same thing. If I'm taking a picture of somebody, I focus on that person and everything gets blurred. With Jesus Christ, it's the same thing. I claim the promises, I act like it has happened even though I don't feel it, and now I keep my eyes on Jesus. Satan will bring people, distractions. He knows what pushes our buttons. But I keep my eyes on Jesus. If I fall, it's okay. Get back up, keep my eyes on Jesus. Keep pressing forward. Look at what we are told in Inspiration, Steps to Christ, page 72. When the mind dwells upon what? Self, it is turned away from Christ. The source of strength and life. When are we turned away from Christ? When we dwell upon ourselves. Hence, it's Satan's constant effort to keep the attention diverted from the Savior and thus prevent the union and communion of the soul with Christ. The pleasures of the world, life's cares and perplexities and sorrows, the what? Faults of others. Now I am not saying that we are not to encourage and exhort. If someone is doing something that maybe they don't know is wrong, we need to help them. Of course, gain their confidence for don't just go jump their throats and tell them everything that they're doing wrong. That's not our job. But of course, we're supposed to exhort and there is a place for that type of thing. But don't focus on that. The faults of others or your own faults and imperfections. To any or all of these, he will seek to divert the mind. Do not be misled by his devices. Many who are really conscientious, who desire to live for God... Who are these people? Are these atheist people that don't believe in God? No, these are like you and I. We are here at GYC. We want to receive the Holy Spirit. We want to follow God. We desire to live for God. 
he too often to, to dwell upon their own faults and weaknesses, and thus by separating them from Christ, he hopes to gain the victory. He knows our weakness. And so God is telling us, keep our eyes on Jesus. He keeps telling us, we should not make self center and indulge anxiety and fear as to whether we shall be what? Saved. God wants you to be saved. He will do everything in His power to be saved. You know it's the only thing that's going to keep you out of heaven? If you choose not to be there. God will do everything to, get, to make you saved. So don't worry. Put your faith and trust in God. Claim the promises and act like it's, it's already yours. All this turns the soul away from the source of strength. Commit the keeping of your soul to God and trust in Him. Talk and think of Jesus. Let self be lost in Him. Put away all doubt. Dismiss your fears. Rest in God. He is able to keep that which you have committed to Him. If you will leave yourself in His hands, He will bring you off more than conquer through Him that has loved you. Beautiful promise, Steps to Christ, page 72. We continue on, page 116 of Steps to Christ. Satan is exalted when he can lead the children of God into unbelief and despondency. Has God given us enough warning on this? I, I was reading, I mean, there's, there's boatloads of quotes on this topic. I couldn't share everything with you. I believe why God has given us so much information on it is because we struggle so much with it. But he says he delights to, this is Satan, he delights to see us mistrusting God, doubting His willingness and power to save us. He loves to have us feel that the Lord will do us what? Harm by His providences. You see, it's Satan's plan. That's why if you look at the media, for example, and in the movies, it's always this depiction of this higher power that something is controlling and doing things and that you know, may hurt the people and this and that. And they paint this picture of this higher power. And really, they're really applying that to God. That God is this one that zaps them. And when it's God that is love, yes, He has the side of justice and He will have to do justly. But He has this side of mercy as well. And so it's Satan that misrepresents Him. He fills the imagination with false ideas concerning God. Instead of dwelling upon the truth in regard to our Heavenly Father, we too often fix our minds upon the rip misrepresentation of Satan and dishonor God by distrusting Him and murmuring against Him. If you ever have doubt, maybe there's some Bible text, something you just don't understand, commit it to God and say, Lord, I'm not sure this doesn't make sense to me. This gives me a skewed view of your character. Somehow, I know this can't be right. In due time, please show me. And I promise you, God will show you. But at the moment, focus on that which you know. There's a tendency to always focus on the unknown. Focus on what we know. Claim the promises that we do know. And we will be able to make it through the power of God. Let's continue on. Those are the three principles that I believe are very important in dealing with doubt. But the question may come up. How do I surrender my will? We, a couple of quotes dealt with the will. And you probably have heard of higher powers and lower powers. I'm just going to take a couple minutes and talk about the science of the mind. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a Bible worker working for God. But with the little bit that I have, I'm understanding, I'm going to share you that. The first principle in dealing with this topic of the mind and the will is we really have to understand the force of the will. 
Look at what we are told in uh, Steps to Christ, page 47. This is the governing power in the nature of man. The power of decision or choice. Everything depends on the right action of the what? The will. The power of choice God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your what? How many of us can change our hearts? Nothing. We can't change it. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. This blew my mind away too because I thought that I was to give my heart to God. Give my affection. You can't. You know what you can do? We're going to talk about it. But at the end of the day, but you can choose to serve. All you can do is say, Lord, I give you permission. I choose to follow you. Take my heart. Take my feelings. Do that which I cannot do. You can give him your will. So this choice is connected with the will, which we're going to be looking at. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought... How much of your nature? Why? Because your nature is connected with your character. God is actually trying to transform our brains. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be what? Centered upon Him. Your thoughts will be what? In harmony. And as we talked about yesterday, our character is impacted by habits that we make. And habits are impacted by our actions. But how do our actions happen? By our thoughts and feelings. So when this takes place, of course our character is going to be transformed. So how does all of this work? One more quotation. The body is to be brought into subjection. The higher powers of the being are to do what? Rule. The passions are to be controlled by the will, which itself to be under the control of God. The kingly powers of reason, sanctified by divine grace, is to what? Bear sway in our lives. So now we see, under the idea of being, the passions being controlled and the will, there's all this description of higher powers are the ones to be bearing rule. What are we talking about when we refer to this? In brief, the brain is divided into different compartments, we could say. And um, even though it's divided into different sections, the, the, the first part of your brain, this bigger part right here, is called the frontal lobe. And in the frontal lobe is where your reasoning, judgment, conscience, and your willpower takes place. That is what happens there. This is the, like the computer system that processes the information. This is how God communicates. When you feel convicted to do something, that's where the signal is coming from. That's what you're experiencing. That's the frontal lobe. And in this part of the brain, this is where we call the higher powers. These are the higher powers, the reasoning, judgment, conscience, and the will. And this is found in the frontal lobe. And then we find, in the other part of the brain, that you have your appetites and your passions, which we call the lower part of the brain. Ellen White often refers to these two concepts. So you have the higher power, and you have the lower power. And this is where you're feeling, your emotions and things are generated. Which one is first? It's the frontal lobe. God wants to, us to use our frontal lobe and our lower powers are to be subjected to the king, which is our frontal lobe. You see, when God created our brains, this is how it was functioning. Every decision that Adam and Eve made, 
It was with their reasoning, judgment, conscience, and will. And, is there anything wrong with appetites and passions? No! Desire, emotion, is God's gift to us. That's how we experience pleasure. That's how we enjoy family. We enjoy things. There's meaning to the God, and that's where motivation is. There is nothing wrong with these things. But the problem is, after sin, you know what happened? The higher powers became subjective to the lower powers. And that's a big problem. Because what happens? Instead of man being using his reasoning and conscience, connecting to God, and that running his decisions of what he should eat, what he should do, who should he marry, now you know what it is? Oh, she's hot, so I'm going to follow. I want... Or, oh man, that was, oh, I can't, I can't handle it. I've already eaten two plates of food, but i got to have that chocolate cheesecake or whatever it is, I don't know. And you, your passions are raging, so you, you fill yourself up. When your body is saying, your brain is saying, hey, you're full, you don't need that piece of cheesecake, it's extra fat, you don't need it, you're going to get sick. You're like, no, 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 no. The brain's like, oh, that looks too good. And it gives you, it's tricking you. So the lower powers are now controlling the higher powers. That is what is being referred to as the carnal man in the Bible. When he's talking about the carnal man, he's talking about our fallen nature. The fallen nature that we're talking about is the lower powers controlling our higher powers. But what does God want to do? He wants to restore that back. You see, if we continue in this condition, we are no better than a dog. I have a little dog, a Jack Russell. I love my dog to death. He was actually my wife's dog before it was mine. She had him before we got married. But our dog, we, he can maybe eat something that he shouldn't eat, and then he'll throw up, and if we give him the same thing, you know what he'll do? Eat it again. How stupid is that? You're going to throw up, you're going to get sick. But what is it? The appetites are raging. And all he... All he lives by is eating, sleeping, and us cuddling him and playing with him. That's all he wants. If that's all you and I want in our lives, God help us. (laughs) There's nothing wrong. We need to eat. Praise the Lord. We need to have some healthful food every day. We need to have meaningful relationships. We need passion. We need motivation. But they have to be under the power of God. We have to be, we need to use our reasoning and our judgment. They have to be subjected to our higher powers. What has happened is our lower powers have hijacked our higher powers. You see, what happens is, the way to illustrate this, we often fear the things from without. But the greatest problem really is ourselves, our lower passions, our brain. You see, how many of you know of the Great Wall of China? You're familiar with that? When the Great Wall of China was built, the reason why it was built, it was built high enough that no one could jump over the wall. And it was built thick enough that no one could tunnel through the wall. And so the first hundred years, you know how many times it was invaded? How many times? Three times. Do you know how it was invaded? It wasn't invaded by someone jumping over the wall. It wasn't invaded by somebody digging a hole under the t- underground. It was invaded because the men guarding the gate, the men within the city, within China, they had given up their minds to the passions and briberies 
and they allowed the enemy to come in. They had been hijacked from the inside. Those three invasions never had to happen to the Chinese, but it did from within, not from without. Likewise, our lower powers need to be in control. That is part of the conversion experience. God is going to slowly... That's why sometimes you still find yourself struggling because this has been 6,000 years of human fallen nature. We've, we've had some really bad habits. We have, the culti- we, we have the inherited ones from our family and then we have the ones we've cultivated. And so we got a lot of struggles, but God is powerful. And so God wants us to understand this higher and lower powers. We are told in 2 Timothy 3, 4, See if we can get Second Timothy three four and God. Actually, let's go to Genesis six five. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagine of the thoughts of his heart was what continually evil. The thoughts of their mind was evil. Why? Because their lower powers were in control of their higher powers. And the Bible tells us in in Matthew chapter twenty four verse thirty seven and thirty eight. But as in the days of Noah where so also the coming of the Son of Man shall be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were what? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. What were they doing? Marrying, eating, and drinking. Now, you know what? I've been married in the last two and a half years. I just ate, and I've drank. So does that mean I'm I'm, I'm an evil? No. What has happened? Those things were controlling the men in Noah's day and they're controlling men and women today. There is nothing wrong with drinking. Well, it depends what you drink. Per se. There's nothing wrong with getting married. Marry the one that God has placed in your life. Don't go looking for other distractions. But when those passions take over and they rule you, that's the problem. And the the priority is mistaken because when the passions are ruling, you know who's not ruling in your life? Jesus is not ruling. Jesus is second. And is there a problem with that? Yes, that goes against one of the commandments. You shall have no other gods. You know what becomes our gods? These things become our gods. Our lower passions becomes our gods. You know how it is. Someone says something to you. The natural reaction of the human nature is to do what? Get angry, get upset. Instead, what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to surrender. You know, when you're shopping, they always tell you, when you go to the supermarket, what shouldn't you do before, or what should you do before you go to the supermarket? You should eat. Why is that? Because when you're hungry, a million and one things look appetizing. And you're supposed to go in there with one thing, maybe a sandwich or something, and you come back with the whole tons of bags of food. Why is that? And probably food that you shouldn't be eating in the first place. Because your frontal lobe is being subjected to your, your passions, and the passions are just raging. Like, give me this, give me that, give me junk food. When that's not really what you need. You need nutritious food to supply the nutrients for your body. So the question then is, How does God restore our mind? So now we understand a little bit about the brain. 
and the frontal and higher, the higher and lower powers, how does God restore the mind? How does He bring them back, the lower powers, into subjection to the higher powers? How does He do it? I believe the simple answer is that when our will is moved by conviction, when we are convicted to surrender to God, as we've been covering in our last two presentations, to surrender our will to Him because of God's love, and we choose God's way through my will and depend upon His power, that's when the change begins. Look at what we are told here. So how does God is going to restore us? The will is going to be convicted to yield by God's love. Look at what we are told Desire of Ages, page 172. Little by little, perhaps unconsciously to the receiver, impressions are made that tend to draw the soul to Christ. These may be received through meditating upon Him, through reading the Scriptures, or through hearing the Word from the living preacher. Suddenly, as the Spirit comes with more direct appeal, the soul gladly surrenders itself to, to Jesus. By many, this is called sudden conversion. But like we were talking about yesterday and even in the sanctuary, but it is the result of a long wooing by the Spirit of God. A patient, protracted process. So what is happening, even now and even before you've come here, even before you gave your heart to Jesus, God was working on you. He was giving you revelations of Himself in different ways. And when you have decided to surrender your will to Him, then the, the process begins. It's taking place. Then trials to tri uh, triumph, page 163. Paul begged them to control the lower passions. Talking about the church of Corinth. They would have to force back old habits and natural inclinations, ever watching unto prayer. But Paul knew also that in Christ crucified, they were what? Offered power sufficient to enable them to resist how many temptations? All. So how many lower powers is God going to give us victory? 100%. I don't care how many years you've done something, God can give you victory. If you have a tendency, maybe you don't struggle in certain areas that people do, but maybe you struggle with just getting the proper amount of sleep. I'm a night owl by nature. My wife is not that way, and she's always telling me, we should go to bed. Sometimes I'm I have the tendency to work on my sermons late at night because there's peace and quietness there. And she tells me, no, Philippe, you should go to bed now. The hours before midnight are double. And then wake up earlier in the morning and do what you need to do. That's a bad habit I have. But by the power of God, through the help of God and my wife, God is going to give me that full victory. That's, that's a weakness I have. God is going to give us all power sufficient to resist all temptations of evil. So the will is convicted to yield then the Spirit strengthens the inner man, or that frontal lobe, the, the higher powers. Look at what we're told in Christ's object lessons. The natural inclinations are what? Softened and subdued. What is the natural inclinations? It's the passions, the lower powers. New thoughts, new feelings, new motives are implanted. A new standard of character is what? Set up the life of Christ. The mind is changed. So what happens is when you surrender that will, God does something miraculously. He works in your brain and at that moment, He weakens the lower powers and He strengthens your higher powers. You see, God doesn't want us to be slaves even to Him in a way. 
even when we have our higher powers fully strengthened, it'll always still be our choice to follow God. We won't be like, just robots, okay, God, I'm following you. No, it's not like that. He always wants, the goal is to strengthen his, our minds so that we can make the right decisions. That personal experience with him, the mind is changed, the faculties are aroused to action in new life. Man is not endowed with new faculties, but the faculties he has are sanctified. What is this sanctifying? He is strengthening the, new, the faculties. Not new ones are given. He doesn't take our brain and just give you a new one. What we're talking about is he's strengthening the higher powers, bringing it back how he originally created it for us. We are endowed with the traits of character that enables us to do the service of God. You see, oftentimes, we're trying to do the service of God when we're still allowing the lower powers to control our higher powers. And that's when we start getting into one each other's nerves. You know, someone doesn't agree with us, and so we get at them. And because we have bad habits, our anger just comes up. And that's what God is trying to do, sanctify us in this process. So we've seen these steps. Now, after we've surrendered the will because of God's love, the Spirit is strengthening. He's strengthening the higher powers. Now what happens? The will takes back its role guiding the thoughts. What happens? Look at what we are told in Inspiration. Reflect Christ, page 377. It will require a sacrifice to give yourself to God, but it is a sacrifice of the what? Lower for the higher, the earthly for the spiritual, the perishable for the eternal. God does not design that our will should be what? Destroyed. God doesn't want to destroy your will. For it is only, you see, that's Satan's deception that God's going to control you. That's not God's purpose. He just wants to put you back in line with how he originally created so you can make the proper decisions. And when you do that, of course you want to follow God because God is love. He is our wonderful Father. It is only through what? It's exercise that we can accomplish what he would have us to do. That's why later on we're going to see that's why trials are allowed in our lives. You wonder why God allows some things in our lives and you're like, God, I just went through this. Why do I keep going through? He's trying to strengthen your will. Our will is to be yielded to him. That's the first step. That we may receive it what? Again. So we surrendered it, yielded it, he strengthens the higher powers and then he gives it back to you. It, this all happens right away. Purified and what? Refined. One step closer to the original mind of God. And so linked in sympathy with the divine that he can pour through us the tides of his love and power. That's what God is doing. And the last step. Let's see if I can get through these slides. The new man is to be renewed daily as we behold Christ. So now we've got to keep repeating these three. What we need to do, as God has given us victory in this one area, we surrendered our will to Him. He, he strengthens our higher powers. The habit no longer becomes intriguing anymore. God is strengthening it. It's in controlling our lower powers. He gives it back. So the next time that situation happens, you become more victorious and you need the new man is to be this higher part is to continue to be renewed daily, moment by moment, as we behold who? Jesus. Because who's doing this whole process? It's Jesus. Yes, we have our part to play, surrender, but it's Jesus doing. Don't forget that. Sometimes we get into the nitty-gritty and then we think, I gotta do it. 
Please don't leave this place that way. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. It begins with Jesus, ends with Jesus, Jesus in the middle. This is the experience God wants to give us. That is the science of the will. One of the Bible texts, I didn't give it to you, but uh, when we talked about the Spirit strengthening the inner man, you can just jot down Ephesians 3.16. That's where that idea comes from, the Spirit strengthening the inner man. Now I want to look at how God builds up the will. We talked about the science of how it happens. I believe God gives us many different things in our lives to strengthen our will. Number one, it is divine power. As I was talking about, it's God doing this through us. Look at what the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. We're not going to read all of it. You can read it on your own time. Only part of it is shown here. His divine power hath given unto us how many things? All things. Do you notice that everything we've read, nothing is like halfway. God just does partially. Oh, you know what? I'm going to do a little bit and now you do the rest. Even though He, he requires our choice, because we're not robots again. We still have a choice. But it's God doing all these things through us. It's us collaborating with heaven, with God himself. Giving us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. But that by these ye might be what? Partakers of the divine nature. Having the precious, beautiful character of God. That is the first resource to build up the will, the divine power. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God has a storehouse of promises and power that you and I have no idea. And the only reason why we don't have an idea is because we don't access it every day. I was shocked to find out that there is something called the missing heirs of America. People have died, and in their wills, they have given their inheritance to certain individuals. But those individuals don't know that the inheritance is for them. Maybe it wasn't a family member or a friend. I don't know what it was. And they were never told. So in banks right now, I actually checked up in Google. I was shocked. In banks right now, there is money waiting for people to cash it in. But because they don't know that it's waiting for them, they never access it. You know what? We're just like that. God has a storehouse, divine, precious promises, all power, but we don't access it. And until then, we're struggling, we're kicking against the pricks, like Paul was, Saul was in the beginning of his journey. This is the experience God wants to give us. Let's look at the second thing. Divine power. The second thing is memorizing scripture. In uh, Psalms 119, verse 11. Thy word have I what? Hidden in my heart, in the mind, in the, there in the frontal lobe, that I might not sin what? Okay. When I hide the word of God, it strengthens what? My higher powers. So that when I'm about, my lower powers is like, eat this, eat that. Go drink, get married, do whatever you want. Then I remember, oh no, no, my temple... My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, please, I don't have strength, but give me the power to overcome this. And God will give us the power. So divine power, another aid or resource that builds up the will, memorizing scripture. 
If you think about it, when Jesus was in the wilderness, how did he overcome the enemy? How did he overcome? By prayer. When he was in the wilderness with Satan, what did he tell Satan when Satan told him, turn these stones into bread? It is written. That's what we're talking about, memorization. Do you think that Jesus pulled out the the Dead Sea Scrolls? Rolled out all the scrolls? Okay, Satan, uh, right here in Deuteronomy. Is that what he did? No. He had hidden the word in the mind. So that became his rule of thumb. Not his passions, but the word of God. The third resource, and this is not in order, I'm just throwing them out there. The The third source that God gives us is daily prayer. Jesus himself in Garden of Gethsemane, we know this story very well. What does he have to do? He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. He tells the disciples, even unto death, tarry ye here and watch with me. You know, the Bible tells us to watch. But what is he saying? How is he going to watch? And he went a little further and fell on his face and what? Prayed. How was he watching? How do we keep our frontal lobe on guard, on watch? We need to be in prayer. Constant communing with God. The harder the trial, the greater the prayer life needs to be. Moment by moment, surrendering ourselves to God. Constant prayer. I want to read you a quotation from Acts of the Apostles, page 564. Prayer is heaven's ordained means of success in the conflict with sin and the development of Christian character for the Holy Spirit, for a Christ-like temper, for wisdom and strength to do His work. For any gift He has promised, we may ask, and the promise is, you shall receive. And that is found in Acts of the Apostles, page 564. How do we access this? Prayer. Is God, is heaven's ordained means to success. So how does God strengthen our frontal lobe when we keep in constant prayerful communion with God? I want to read you another quotation that deals with a prayer life. This is powerful. Christ Object Lessons, page 159. And I believe this is a prayer that we are told to pray. No outward observance can take the place of faithful, simple faith and entire renunciation of self. But no man can empty what? You know, I thought that was my job. No man can empty himself. That's why we fail. We can only what? Consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart. I used to pray, Lord, I give you my heart. Then I realized I can't even give it. And that's why I used used to wonder, you know, why I keep struggling. I can't give my heart. So I tell, Lord, you know, I'm weak. Take it. I don't know how to do it. But you can for I cannot give it. It is your property. Whether I want to believe it or not, it's God's property. But I give him the choice. Even though it's his property, he doesn't control it unless we give him the opportunity. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it. Can God keep it pure? Absolutely. Save me in spite of myself, my weak and Christ-like self. It is not only at the beginning of Christ's Christian life that, it is, that this renunciation of self is to be made at every what? Every step. We got to keep going through that conversion experience we talked about earlier. Heavenward, it is to be renewed. All our good works are dependent on a power outside of ourselves. Therefore, there needs to be continual reaching out of the heart after God, a continual, earnest, heartbreaking confession of sin and humbling of the soul before Him. Only by consent, 
renunciation of self and dependence of Christ, can we walk safely? How can we walk safely? Just by strengthening the higher powers? No. The whole purpose of strengthening the higher powers is to do what? Depend on Jesus. Make Jesus everything. There's a son that is telling the story that his father was in the front lines of the Korean War. And the father's job was to stretch out this telephone cable to the front and to the back where the commanders were. Nowadays, we just use walkie-talkies and everything is wireless. But back then, that's not how it was. The only way the frontline troops knew what to do, which direction to take, was through this wire that was being put down in the front lines in the Korean War. That wire represents our prayer life. We're in battle every day. We're in the great controversy. And oftentimes, we're in battle and what, you know what? We neglect the word of God. We neglect prayer. And so you know what happens? We're trying to fight this battle, but we don't know how to fight it. And so we're beating up and we're like, okay, I'm coming at it. And we're doing it in our strength. And God's saying, connect to me. I'll give you the power. Keep praying. He has to tell us directions each and every moment. Let God guide us. Next principle, resource. I'm coming to, I know we're two minutes over. Just give me maybe five more minutes and we'll try to wrap this up soon. The next resource is healthful living. Now again, it's not in the order. I'm just sharing with you. I do want you to pull your Bibles or look on the screen. This, is the, this does not go with this text, just to let you know. But this text is actually found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15. If you read the previous verses, it's actually referring to Jesus Christ. It's a messianic prophecy. And it says, Butter and honey shall he eat, referring to Jesus, that he may know what? To refuse the evil and choose the good. Now we're not going to get into butter and honey and all of that, but what do we see here? That what we eat, our healthful lifestyle, is connected with our power to refuse evil and to choose good. And where does this all take place? In the frontal lobe. So what is it telling? That what our, how we train our lower powers either, either gives us the advantage or gives us the disadvantage. With Jesus, he lived and had a simple diet. And yes, people use the excuse that Jesus ate fish and those type of things. But you know, that was 2,000 years ago. If you think about how this world is and all the contamination and even the way that our, our system, our food is, we'd have a second thought. God wants us to get back to the original diet, but just keep that in mind. This is a very important principle. I want to read you a quotation, but before I read you a quotation, a couple days ago before I got here, a friend sent me an, um, a news clip on, I think it was ABC or NBC, I don't know, some of you may even have seen it, of uh, this famous preacher named Rick Warren. You probably have heard of him, his book, Purpose and Driven Life, and so forth. And, he, you know, he was quite overweight individual. And he was talking in this, epi- in this uh, interview, not about the gospel per se, or about his book. But you know what he was talking about? That we need to overcome our appetite. I was shocked. I never expect this man, oh, by God's grace, I knew God would lead him. If he's studying the Bible, he should come to that understanding. And he says, one day he was baptizing hundreds of hundreds of people. And he realized that everybody he was baptizing was overweight. And, he, and then he says, this is a problem. This is a bad testimony. And then he looked at himself. He's like, man, I'm a, I'm a bad testimony. 
And you know what? He went, read the book of Daniel, and realized that he needed to purpose in his heart to not defile his body. And as a result, with doctor's help and different things, he came up with something called the Daniel Diet. And now he's trying to live the principles. And they exer- even at his church now, they not only promote healthful living, but they have exercise sessions. They're doing everything they can to get people to live healthfully. God gave us this message thousands of years ago in his word, and he gave it to us hundreds of years through his prophet. And some of us have neglected it. Any course of action that weakens our physical or mental power unfits you for the service of your creator. You are to love God with all your heart. And if you have an eye single to his glory, we will what? Eat, drink, and clothe ourselves. Even our clothing reflects whether we give glory to God with the reference to his divine will. Everyone who has a realizing sense of what it means to be a Christian will purify himself. And when we are even talking, here she says, you will purify yourself. This is through the power of God, if you read the whole context. From everything that weakens and defiles, all the habits of this life will be what? Brought into harmony with the requirements of the word of truth. And he will not only what? Believe, but will work out his own salvation, fear and trembling, while submitting to the molding of who? It's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. Another resource that God gives us. Wish I could have more time on these things, but I don't have. Another thing that God gives us is music. We are told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Another way to strengthen the will, to give you victory, is to sing melodies, sing songs. We are told in Desire of Ages, page 73, Often, referring to Jesus, he expressed the gladness of his heart by singing what? Psalms and heavenly songs. Often the dwellers in Nazareth heard his voice raised in praise and thanksgiving to God. He held communion with heaven in song. And as his companions did what? People around him were complaining. Do people around you complain too? Maybe we complain. They were cheered by the sweet melody from his lips. His praise seemed to banish the evil angels and like incense filled the place with fragrance. Another thing that God gives us to strengthen us is music, godly music, the hymns, the psalms, heavenly songs to draw our hearts to God. Sweet melodies reaching heaven. Another thing that God allows to experience to strengthen our will is trials and suffering. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, referring to Jesus, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Trials strengthen our commitment to the Lord. When we gain victory, if we fall, of course they weaken it, but through the power of God, he brings you back up and he strengthens us through the trials, through the sufferings. If it wasn't for Jesus going through the agony at Gethsemane on the cross, Would you and I be here today? No. Because Jesus did it, we can do it too. But if we sin, if we sin, what do we do? If we sin, 1 John tells us, we have an advocate. Write that down, 1 John 2, verse 1. In little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. God's desire is not for us to continue on sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous. Look at what we are told. 
in the pen of inspiration, he, um, heavenly places. Do you make mistakes? Do, you not, do not let this discourage you. The Lord may permit you to make small mistakes in order that you uh, save you from making larger ones. Sometimes God lets us hit the dirt, fall flat on our face, but just so that we can learn from our mistake and to depend more on Him. Go to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you and then He then believes that He does. Another one. Have you fallen into sin? Then without delay, seek God for mercy and pardon. The Lord is calling to us in all our wanderings. Return, ye backsliding children. I will heal your backsliding. And that is found in Testimonies for the Church, volume 5, page 177. The last thing I want to share with you is five simple steps on how to experience victory over sin if you have sinned. Number one, you must experience, realize that victory is a gift. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57, the sting of death is sin and the strength of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God which given us what? Victory. What has He done with victory? He gave it. Victory is a gift. Number two, God is willing to give good gifts, not just victory. If he then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which in heaven give good things to us? Number one, we have to recognize that victory is a gift. Number two, that God is willing to give it to you. Don't hang your head low. God wants to lift us up. We are told, um, even if whatever we're struggling with, committed to the Lord, remember that He wants to give you the victory. He also tells us the third step is we need to believe that it is done. When if we have come to God like and wise, reckon ye also yourself to the dead that to be dead indeed unto sin. When you have committed yourself and say, Lord, I realize that it's a it's a gift, victory is a gift. I realize that I I have failed, but I accept the gift. Now I have to act like I have the gift. I can't live as though I don't have it. I can live. My old man, my passions, they're dead indeed unto sin, but alive through God, Jesus Christ. And then, now that I reckon or that I believe, look at what it tells us. Review and Herald, December 12th. Uh, 29, 1910. It is not our efforts that bring what? Victory. It is seeing God behind the promise. This is what we were talking about earlier. And believing and trusting. Grasp by faith the hand of the infinite power. The Lord is faithful who has promised. The fourth, second to last step is resist now the devil. Now that you reckon, now submit and resist the devil. The Bible tells us in James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God and Resist the devil and he will do what? When Jesus resisted him with the word of God, what did Satan do? Eventually fled. Stuck with him two more temptations and then after that ran away. And so likewise, God wants to do that for us. And last but not least, but do not make plans to sin again. The Bible tells us in Romans thirteen fourteen, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, make not provisions for the flesh to what? Fulfill the lust thereof. Don't make plans to do it again. If, God, if you're struggling with tobacco, 
one of the first things we tell people is throw it away. If you have it in their house and you want to have victory, why do you have it in your house? Or if you have friends that smoke, you know you're going to get back into it. Look at what we are told. Faith I live by. Page 249. Our Savior does not require impossibilities of any soul. How many impossibilities does He require us? How many? None! This is another promise. He expects nothing of His disciples that He is not willing to what? Give them grace and strength to perform. He would not call upon them to be perfect if He had not what? At His command, every perfection of grace to bestow on the ones upon whom He would confer so high a holy call. Our work is to what? Strive to obtain, to attain in our sphere of action, the what? Perfection that Christ is His life on earth, attained in every phase of character. He is our example. We are to live what? One day at a time. We do not have to work the work of a lifetime in a few hours. Sometimes we get worried. We try to stick everything of our lives in one day. No, just live one day at a time, moment by moment. We need not look into the future with anxiety. That's Satan's distraction. For God has made it possible for us to be what? Praise God. God has promised that He will keep us faithful. He will keep us faithful. The Bible tells us in Jude 1, 21 and 24, unto him that is what? Able to keep you from folly and present you faultless before the throne of God. How many of you want to be presented faultless before the throne of God? Amen? I do. Do you see that God has all the promises and all the power in the world for you? I hope this has given you a glimpse and an encouragement that God is on your side. And He wants to give you the victory. And He will just keep looking to Him. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, You are too good to us. You are way too good to us. You have given us everything. Everything that we need. And yet, we look around and we get distracted. But Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our shortcomings. And draw our eyes away from self. Away from this world away from the faults of others, and lift our eyes heavenward. Lord, may your power strengthen our minds. You will strengthen the inner man, the higher powers of our mind, and that we may be more like you day by day as we behold you, that we will become changed into your likeness, into your character, moment by moment. Bless us and keep us is our prayer in Jesus' name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.